Welcome to ICANN, a podcast about ophthalmology through a uniquely Canadian lens with Dr. Cedare Ziai and myself, Dr. Guillermo Rocha. The ICANN podcast has been made possible by support from MD Financial Management and Scotiabank, proud financial partners of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society and Canada's ophthalmologists. We'll share our experiences as ophthalmologists today and tackle some of the challenges we face as healthcare providers. Are you ready, Cedare? Let's do it, Guillermo. Let's do it, Cedare. On this episode of ICANN, we'll be speaking with Canadian Ophthalmological Society President, Dr. Colin Mann, about what's in store for the organization in 2022. Dr. Colin Mann, a dear friend of mine, is a comprehensive ophthalmologist based in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. He has been a member of the COS since starting his practice in 1991, and he has served many years on the Maintenance of Certification Committee. He was the founding chair of the Practice Resource Center Committee, and he has served on the COS Board of Directors since 2014. He's currently in the second year of his two-year term as president of the COS. Welcome to the ICANN podcast, Dr. Mann. Hey, thanks, Cedare. I appreciate it. As your time as COS president is coming to an end, I guess you still have six months left, but as it's nearing the end, Colin, I'd like to ask you about your time in this role. What, has, what have been your greatest challenges and accomplishments? I know it's been um, a bit of a difficult time to be in leadership in any position, really, but um, what would you say were the greatest challenges for you um, in this role? Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I know uh, you and your roles, and and in the discussions on this podcast, you've you've talked about this. But obvi- the obvious elephant in the room is, uh, you know, the trajectory of the last eighteen months. Uh, I think probably just expecting the unexpected. Uh, maybe in fact, the greatest challenges are still to come in the next six months. Who knows? Um, seriously, the obvious is the pandemic, as you know from being on the board, uh, et Um it uh, the president role you're elected as president elect one year prior and nominated before that. So in fact, when I accepted the role and accepted the nomination, uh, there was no pandemic. Uh, and then uh, as I came into the role and just before taking the president role, the this whole thing rolled out, and and everything changed. Um, it's been a really interesting ride. I think the challenges are are obvious. We've uh, you know changed our whole. Uh, delivery of uh, care uh, systems and and our um, services to members uh, during the pandemic. I think my goal, my approach to the presidency has been to, uh, I stated at the beginning that I wanted to increase communication, cooperation with all our stakeholders and and our partners. And together with our wonderful CEO, Liz Fowler, uh, we've uh, done that or tried to do that. We've reached out to the subspecialty groups, uh, ACUPO, our our, uh, colleagues there, advocacy groups in the eye care space, other members of the eye care team. And I think this is one of the great joys of the role, really, is that, uh, you know, can have this communication and working with the whole COS team uh, and the whole eye care team. 
I, I kind of joke that my stated goal should be to do as little as possible. Um, by that, I mean that I'd like to facilitate, catalyze, you know, bring out the talent, skills, expertise, and capacity of our members, which are amazing, our member volunteers. Um, they say, you know, surround yourself with good people and then get out of the way. And I, I think I believe that. Um, there's a lot of very talented people involved with the COS. And so if, uh, if at the end of the day, I've been seen to accomplish anything. I th I hope it will be that I've built you know some capacity, some consensus, some unity of purpose within our membership and within the larger eye care and ophthalmology community in Canada. And finally, if we're talking about what I'm looking forward to uh, in, in the rest of the presidency, I, I have to say the annual meeting in Halifax. Um, I think, you know, many of us, we've talked about it at the board level. Um, we're looking forward to our first in-person board meeting in April uh, in, in two years, the first one I'll have had as a president. Um, we've been doing it all virtually and everything else in our lives virtually. And I miss that contact. I think the... Um, the interactions that we have in person are different than we have uh, on Zoom or on uh, on the phone. And I, I, I really miss that. I know a lot of people do and, and miss everything that goes with that. And I think it's, uh, it's something that hopefully we can get back to. And I really, really hope to welcome all our members to Nova Scotia in June. Um, there's a few things I want to bring up during this podcast that I think are so important. Some of the initiatives you've been involved in, I mean, you've been on the board for so long, but more recently, to me, some of the most important initiatives, and I'm, I have two that I want to bring up. So the first one I want to talk about is the Practice Resource Centre. So the Practice Resource Centre, you were the founding chair, it did not exist before um, you got involved in it. Can you explain to those who have not explored the PRC, what it is, how they access it, and who's helping to keep things um, running and flowing um, properly these days now that you've stepped down from that role? Yeah, it. Uh, as you know, this is a, a bit of a passion project for me and I, along with um, some very talented volunteers and, and the really committed members of the COS team, I have I have to say in the larger sense that that's, again, one of the privileges of being in a leadership position with the COS is you can have these ideas or these uh, these visions for what you think would be useful. And then uh, you have some really talented people to help you bring it to life. Um, so this, the PRC or Practice Resource Center um, has uh, is a place for really all things ophthalmology in Canada. It's a resource for our members and for the wider ophthalmology community because many aspects are open to to everyone, whether they're members or not. Uh, it uh, serves everyone from uh, medical students who might be interested in ophthalmology to residents, uh, to young ophthalmologists, to those who've been in practice for a long time. It has uh, a calendar function, so it's a place to go and look for all things ophthalmology, continuing education, um, uh, meetings. Uh, and it also is a, a resource repository for all the things that we look for on a daily basis in our practice and need to access. It's uh, categorized according to subspecialty, according to learning type, uh, according to your, your uh, type of learning opportunity that you're looking for. 
and so you can you can customize it to your needs so if you haven't checked it out it's a great place to go and use as a portal to lots of other places that we would have trouble kind of finding on our own we'd spend a lot of time on google this brings the resources together and that brings up the people who are doing that so we have a, a really talented uh, staff person fatun delessa who's uh, works on this and it's uh, as much of a passion and love for her as well um, i turn turned over the, the chair of this to uh, Christine Law, and uh, I think she's nearly near the end of her term. But the commitment that we made was that we really wanted to engage young ophthalmologists on this committee. So we have a committee that it consists of young ophthalmologists who rotate through a term uh, of a couple of years. And uh, we now have a resident member that serves on the committee as well. And their job is to keep this site fresh, to uh, curate the material that comes to it, and to uh, bring up these CPD activities and identify these online activities and resources that are going to be useful for you as you practice ophthalmology in Canada. So it's a wonderful space. It's uh, been taken uh, on and developed. It's now in its second iteration. It underwent a, a large uh, sort of reassessment and survey of how it was doing, how it was useful, what could be improved, and then was reinvented again. And I look forward to that being a continuous process. I would love it if everybody listening to this podcast um, takes a peek at um, the uh, PRC. It's yeah. really an incredible resource. And once you've been on it once, I think you recognize that, but um, it's just to make that initial contact with it um, that's so valuable. Easy to find too, www.cosprc.ca. So pretty easy to remember and get back to rather than having to remember, you know, 50 URLs for different things you're looking for. That's great. Thank you for mentioning that. So the other initiative that I really want to get into, and this is something that comes up at all of our board meetings, is the role of advocacy. Um, so I, I see advocacy as, yes, there are um, little things that come up. I mean, they're not always little things, but they're... Um, a temporary or time-sensitive issues that can come up nationally and provincially that um, COS is always made aware of that sometimes we get involved with. But the, the larger umbrella advocacy um, topic that I want to discuss with you is the challenges we're facing when members of the public, as well as the government and health officials and those who are making decisions still, after all this time, don't really understand the difference between what we call the three O's. Maybe you can explain that and see what you think, um, where we are with that, because I know things are, are moving a little bit. Uh, it's, it's something that, you know, we've talked about for a long time during the whole time I've been at the board table is how we move this forward. Um, I think in years gone by, and <laughs> I, I run the risk of sounding like the uh, 30 years I've been in practice, but uh, in years gone by, I think it was enough that we could sort of do our practice. We could advocate for our patients on a local uh, sort of level. The resources were controlled at a local level, and we could advocate for our pa patients and for the systems on a local level. And those times have changed over the 30 years that I've been in practice and probably accelerated in the past 10 or 15 years. And, and I think, you know, we haven't 
historically done a very good job of educating the larger and wider group of stakeholders about who we are. So the three O's being opticians, optometrists, and ophthalmologists. Um, and, you know, there's lots of, uh, lots of surveys and studies that have shown that the average person doesn't appreciate the difference between those. And so I think we became, uh, maybe six years ago, much more intentional in our advocacy efforts. We made commitments of resources at the COS level. Uh, we now have uh, a manager of, of advocacy and communications, and uh, that's a super important role. We have made it a, a large part of our strategic plan, and it's one of our major strategic pillars. So I think the experience over the past, past decade has been that we need to uh, be more engaged, and that starts with education. Our individual patients understand what we do for them, but be, if we want to be true leaders in the eye care paradigm in Canada, um, it depends on the public at large and government and health administrators really understanding who the members of the eye care team are, what are their differences in training, and therefore what are the appropriate roles. And I think uh, it's uh, important to be able to design a system and continue with a system that's efficient, accessible, equitable, fiscally responsible for all of those members of the eye care team to uh, have their expertise and training fully utilized. And I think that can only take place if we lead in our uh, efforts to design that system and uh, make the eye care system uh, meeting all the needs of our patients. Uh, the days of, of unlimited resources are long gone. And in order to have a system that perpetuates the excellence that we've been used to and uh, that our patients have come to expect, I think we need to lead in uh, developing that paradigm on a national level. As you wind down your time as COS president, I want you to tell me, and I think we, we all have our own opinions on this topic, but how have you seen our profession change in the midst of this pandemic in the past two years? And, you know, in particular, how do you see the impact of the backlog of patients? How is that affecting not just the patient population, but how is it affecting us and our practice? And, and, and what's, what are going to be the long-term effects, do you think, of what's happened to us in the past two years? As your co-host is fond of quoting, uh, in the midst of every crisis lies great opportunity. And I've heard Guillermo say that on a number of occasions. And I think that's very true. Um, I think the pandemic has not only created issues in our healthcare system and an eye care system, but I think it's magnified issues. So I don't think they were have all come along to be new during the pandemic, but it certainly has uh, shone a light on them and acceler accelerated the and magnified the degree of those. And surgical backlog is one of those. So it's not just timely access to surgical facilities, but it's also uh, the needed human resources. Uh, training of surgeons uh, and uh, you know we're all getting older the average age of ophthalmologists in Canada has been steadily increasing um, but also operating room nurses and personnel and I think the effect of the backlog uh, is not only looking at the numbers and we saw a CMA uh, survey that came out uh, just the other day that suggested that you know on average nationally there's been 115 I think hours or 105 uh, uh, sorry uh, days added uh, to the average provincial wait list uh, for cataract surgery and that's a huge debt of care and has impact on many of our patients but it's also the fatigue factor uh, that I think our healthcare 
um, professionals, not just the ophthalmologists, but all the associated uh, ancillary personnel and the nurses and operating room nurses are experiencing. And I think that is of concern as well. And as you know, at COS, we've uh, tried to put uh, an emphasis and have had a wonderful two-year program on uh, physician health, and then culminating in a webinar that we did uh, last year on, uh, you know, leading from languishing to thriving, not just for ourselves, but for those around us and how we can make a difference. So we're trying to pay attention to uh, the health and well-being of the people in the healthcare team that are going to need to get us out of this backlog. So yeah, we hear about the money that's involved. Uh, there's a huge procedural backlog and uh, addressing that, the CMA tells us, is going to take, uh, you know, billions of dollars. I think uh, they estimated that there was procedural backlog for the the uh, accumulated procedures they looked at of, you know, 327,000 uh, procedures. So that's going to take money resources, but it's also going to take human resources, and we need to look after those human resources as well. So I think those are the principles. Um, there's, uh, you know, one of the solutions that's come out even before the pandemic is the move to some out-of-hospital surgical centers. And again, I think this presents great opportunity maybe for efficiency and excellence, but it also has many challenges. The model is different in every jurisdiction as the needs vary and the solutions are crafted. Um, but the COS is engaged in a uh, commenced a process with a national perspective to have a conversation around what are the common principles that would allow us to maximize the opportunity while mitigating the risks and dangers to things like, you know, how do you do training of uh, young surgeons if, if it's moved out of the hospital academic center? How do you do um, research? How do you maintain surgical capacity and skills in the hospital centers if you're moving out um, some of the surgery, but not all of it? Um, I'm hopeful that we can really play a role through this conversation to optimize the role these centers can play, not only in addressing the backlog, but maybe being part of the overall eye care system in the years to come. I think, uh, again, Great opportunity, but I think we need to have this national conversation to talk about principles that will preserve um, the the things that we need to and mitigate the the risks of these changes as well. ICAN wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. Hi, I'm Dr. Nupra Bakshi and I listen to the ICAN podcast. I think you've, you've started to touch a little bit on my next question, which is what is your dream Colin man for the future of ophthalmology in Canada? <laughs> How, where would you like us to be that's different from where we are now in just say five years from now? I think, I think things have changed over the past years during the pandemic. I think a lot of things have been accelerated by the pandemic. I, I would say that our specialty and maybe what attracted me to the specialty in the first place is that we are good innovators. I think, I think we have lots of evidence to suggest that our profession is known for being innovative and forward thinking. And I think the pandemic has spurred us maybe to being more open to change. 
Um, we, I think we need to take the best of what that's produced over the last couple of years. We've, you know, we've changed the way we communicate with patients. We've looked at all the things, the processes that we have that maybe we were stuck in and examined everyone to say, well, can we do that a little better? Can we do it a little differently um, because of the, the needs of the pandemic? And I think if we can uh, take the best of those things to make a more efficient, accessible and equitable system, um, we're, we're going to do okay. My recent communication, uh, you may have seen, it just came out last week uh, called Eye to Eye, which is a communication to the membership. I uh, put forward a somewhat fanciful vision, maybe, uh, although I would say optimistic vision of what the future of ophthalmology might look like with a very coordinated national vision care strategy things like National Pharmacare, things like a National Federal Vision Health Desk. So if I looked forward uh, five years, you know, I would love to see a system where we have in every jurisdiction, every province, um, we have an eye care council, which is made up of all the stakeholders. So ophthalmologists, uh, optometrists, opticians, family doctors, um, uh, govern government and healthcare. Uh, uh, administrators are represented and, and can make, uh, you know, evidence-based decisions uh, commensurate with everyone's training and roles to best uh, deliver eye care and a vision uh, strategy for efficient uh, delivery in Canada. Um, I think if I was looking forward and, and I was having a, a little bit of a dream, uh, it's outlined in that eye to eye. So if you want to have a look at that and, and maybe the listeners want to take a look back at their inbox, uh, they should see the eye to eye communication that came out a week or two ago. Yes. And for those of you who are not COS members, now would be a good time. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can have all of Dr. Mann's communications. Um, I want to, I want to spend a few minutes before we finish this podcast to speak about you personally. Um, I, I have known you for a few years, but maybe not everyone who's listening knows you. Do you want to tell us about some of your very interesting hobbies and what you what you do in your spare time, Colin? <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like all of us, we've worked on, uh, you know, over the years trying to uh, be a little broader than just being an ophthalmologist. And I, I have to say the last couple of years or during this time, it's it's between practice and, and uh the volunteer roles, I've dialed back a little bit of the other stuff, but I enjoy a, a wide range of things. I um, enjoy sailing a lot. Uh, I do a lot of racing. I am uh, certified at a national level as a race officer as well and enjoy uh, uh, running uh, regattas and running racing for both youth events and uh, and adult uh, sailing uh, keelboat events at a sometimes very local level and sometimes uh, world championships. So that's something I've dialed back a little bit the last couple of summers, but I'll probably engage a bit more in. Um, like a lot of us, uh, I uh, am concerned about environment and don't get me stop talking about electric vehicles and renewable energy because we'll be here for another couple of hours, but uh, I enjoy driving uh, out electric vehicles and having solar panels on my roof and drinking homebrew, as I say, for the fuel. Um, And that's a passion for me. And, you know, I've had a couple of health uh, bumps in the road the last couple of years. And uh, sort of the focus on personal health and well-being has been one that I've tried to pay more attention to. So I took full use of the mindfulness uh, seminars and workshops that the COS put on. Um, And I really enjoy sort of reading about or listening to podcasts and sort of evidence-based health hacks. So uh, a couple that I enjoy um, 
Peter Atia uh, Drive podcast, very evidence-based, a very smart guy and has interesting guests. Another voice I, I appreciate is Rhonda Patrick. She does one called Found My Fitness. Uh, she's a neurobiologist that does a lot of uh, a talk at a very detailed level in some cases, but things like the benefit of sauna uh, and uh, the uh, benefits of uh, sulforaphanes, which are compounds found in broccoli sprouts. So in my kitchen, uh, constantly, there's a little sprouter that's making broccoli sprouts to put in my morning smoothies. So so I enjoy that aspect as well. I uh, like getting out and biking when I can and uh, uh, trying to stay fit and healthy by being in the outdoors. Does that mean you're part of the pandemic crew that got a barrel sauna in the past two years? I had one before the pandemic, actually. So <laughs> oh, I did, however, make an outdoor pizza oven, which uh, <laughs> is a, a stereotypical pandemic activity. And that maybe uh, maybe contributed to my health and well-being just as much as the <laughs> sauna, actually. That's great. Thank you for that. And yes, I also do listen to Peter Atia. Um, it was so nice to have you on the on the podcast, Colin. I, it's always a pleasure to see you and to speak to you. And um, I've been so lucky to work with you on the board the past few years. And um, I think you are an unparalleled leader in ophthalmology in Canada. And I look forward to an in-person meeting and an in-person, a real hug. <laughs> Absolutely, Sederay. And right back at you. I, uh, I uh, have always enjoyed our conversations. And more than that, I've always learned from our conversations. So I, I uh, feel a bit badly that it's a bit one-sided. I think I should be quizzing <laughs> you. So maybe that'll be a future podcast as I can take the host chair and, and interview you and Guillermo and turn it around on you guys, because I always learn more than I give uh, from you. So well done with all you're doing. Thanks for the podcast and all you're doing uh, for the COS board and all you're doing for with uh, women in ophthalmology and in medicine. So I appreciate all those things that you do and your work with the residents uh, that's uh, part of your role I know and uh, uh, we we so much appreciate that and value our our learners and uh, young ophthalmologists so the um, having contact with them and understanding their needs is vitally vitally important for us as well that's great thanks so much Colin cheers it's been fun what's coming up on our next episode. And we are joined by two guests from MD Financial, Craig Maddock and Ian Taylor. Craig Maddock is Senior Portfolio Manager and Vice President of Multi-Asset Management based in Ottawa, Ontario. He brings a wealth of experience from over 30 years in the financial services industry. Ian Taylor is the Lead Portfolio Manager for more than $4 billion in liquid alternative investments at MD. He also leads a team of investment analysts responsible for investment research. ICANN wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. The ICANN podcast has been made possible by support from MD Financial Management and Scotiabank proud financial partners of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society and Canada's ophthalmologists. Thank you to the Canadian Ophthalmological Society. The ICANN podcast is written and directed by Kim Teitler and produced by John Allaire from Allaire Strategic Works.